You're 16 years old and your father has suddenly died. Your father has been serving as a senior pastor of your local church for 40 years in Los Angeles. As a 70-year-old high schooler, all of a sudden, you're appointed to serve as the next senior pastor and take over for your father. This is a story of H.B. Charles and how he was called into the ministry as a teenager in Los Angeles. What would you do if you're him? What would you do if you're him? Well, this is not going to be our testimonies, right? This is a very unique testimony, but nonetheless, and this causes us to think deeply about thrust into a leadership role, how would you respond? And as I look out, I see brand new dads and moms out there. I see some younger couples out there. I see perhaps people who might be even thinking about getting married. Praise God. Perhaps you're interviewing for a job situation, situation where you're going to have more elevated responsibilities and needing to lead more people. Perhaps the Lord has a new ministry assignment for you. Certainly we just announced six other candidates that are, potentially could be called to help lead Evergreen Baptist Church in a very unique way. Leadership. Leadership is a valuable, valuable skill to have, a gifting to have, to serve in, the, in a way that, that edifies the church, edif- that glorifies God. And leading is a very difficult time. This is not an easy time to be a leader. There's all kinds of challenges, particularly in the life of the church. So I'm grateful for these uh, six or five other men that are willing to serve in this way. This is not an easy task. This is not an easy task. So I felt led to um, take a break from Mark for a week. Next week, Pastor Victor will be preaching on uh, youth ministries. We're going to be out of Psalm 101 today. I felt like this would be the best way to care for our church, come alongside these men that we love and admire. So the title of the sermon is called My Integrity. My Integrity. Integrity is a topic today. And it was a challenging text for me to sit under because I was constantly thinking to myself, is this who I am? Sometimes it was no. And I titled it My Integrity because I would like every single person in this room to take personal inventory as the Word of God is brought forth. Take personal inventory. Is this who I am? Do I struggle with these things? My Integrity. What is integrity, you may ask? The Oxford Dictionary defines it as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Okay, Others have described it as being righteous, blameless, truthful, or upright. I heard it described this way, which I thought was helpful. Being honest means being truthful to others. Integrity means being truthful with yourself. Okay, I, I like that. In other words, how I like to describe it, what is integrity is being genuine. Just being genuine. Being real, right? That, that's a man or woman with integrity. He or she is genuine. And why integrity? I thought we were talking about leadership today, right? Well, the reason why we're talking about integrity and preaching on integrity is so that we can see what undergirds godly leadership. You need integrity to be a godly leader. You need to be, have integrity to be any type of leader. 
You know, without integrity, your, your leadership would be like a, a human body without a skeleton. Right, what does that look like, right? You got the skin, you got the muscles, you got everything else, but there's no form, no function. It's useless, right? It may be there, but it's not effective. Without integrity, leaders have no real authority. So this is what undergirds leadership is integrity. So whatever role that you have, everyone is a leader to some extent. Certainly not everyone's a senior pastor of a church. We understand this. But you are a leader in some sphere of influence. You know? So let's turn to Psalm 101. I'm going to read out of Psalm 101. Just a little background. You read, you heard Brother Keith Fukuyama read out of 1 Samuel 16 how the, when the, how the Lord anointed uh, David to serve as next king. This is, Psalm 101 is David, King David's charter to to vow to have integrity as he would lead Israel. I thought this would be a very appropriate text for us to sit under. And, and this is David. At the age of 30, he was appointed to serve as king over an entire nation. Okay, And this is how he responds as he has this task. So let's rise if you're able to. If you can't, we understand. But we do this to honor the word of God. Psalm 101. I'll read the eight verses and then I'll pray briefly. Psalm 101, a psalm of David. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk with integrity within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will no, no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the life of David. I pray that your spirit will take over now. I pray your spirit will allow me to preach faithfully. and I pray your spirit will change lives right now through the preaching of your word. Without your spirit, we do nothing. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. So just so you can follow along easier, the roadmap that I'm going to give you is we're going to see how integrity relates to my worship. We'll go over all these things constantly, but just so you can see ahead of time how integrity relates to my walk, my worship, my walk. And thirdly, how my integrity relates to my watchfulness, my watchfulness. Okay? First point, my integrity begins with my worship. Verse 1. David says, I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Yahweh, or O Lord. I will sing praises. David worshiped God. He was a worshiper of God. And it be, our integrity begins with our worship. Two attributes of God that David identifies. They're like two bookends of God's perfect rule. Although King David is known as the greatest ruler or king of Israel, God is the model that he looked at. So the two bookends of perfect godly rule. So if you're a husband, now think through this. 
He, he identifies loving kindness and justice. Loving kindness and justice. These are the two marks that David identifies as God's, in God's rule. And these are two extremes. I mean, these are perhaps two, at the two ends of the spectrum. Loving kindness, mercy, grace, and justice or judgment. And let's think about this real quick. What does loving kindness mean? I think this is important. Many of us understand this word hesed or heard this word hesed. This is the Hebrew word hesed. It carries the meaning of faithful, loyal, committed, covenant love, mercy and grace. Some people have described it as this is an all-encompassing description of God's love. I I like how uh, Old Testament scholar Daniel Block puts it. The depth and range of meaning of the word hesed cannot be captured with a single English word. We don't have a word that encapsulates this concept of hesed. It is a term of endearment and commitment, incorporating all the positive attributes of God. See that? All the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, and loyalty demonstrated in acts of devotion, especially toward one with whom one enjoys a family or covenant relationship. I like that. All of God's positive attributes encapsulate in hesed or loving kindness as, as the NASB tries its best to uh, translate that word. But obviously even loving kindness falls short of understanding what hesed love is. Justice. Justice. Some translators have uh, has translated this word to judgment. Judgment. And God is perfectly just. He will punish and reward evil doers and those who do good based on his holy standards he will make perfectly righteous judgments and these are the bookends of his rule and i believe both of these uh concepts hesed love and justice complement one another i remember growing up as a boy in monterey park in the days that we had summer vacation our dad didn't make us work you had to find things to do you know this I think this is before Nintendo, you know, and um, so we had a magnifying glass. What do you do with magnifying glass at, outside in the summer? I don't know. I mean, you know, as I get older, I need it to make the Bible seem bigger to me. But as a young boy, what you do with a magnifying glass is you go outside and you start fine-tuning the sun. And, and you find leaves. You find all kinds of stuff. I remember my baseball mitt just trying to engrave my name in it with, with the with the uh, with the light. That's what boys do. Parent, I'm glad the kids aren't here, right? So they don't hear this. I struggle if I should uh, uh, confess this before the church, but the children are over there, so you guys are, you'll be okay. But the justice of God is like a spiritual magnifying glass. What do I mean by this? What do you mean, pastor? The justice of God is like a spiritual magnifying glass. When we shine the rays of God's love, God's hesed love, through the lens of God's justice, what happens is that we start to burn for him in worship because we start to understand how deep the Father's love is for us, how, how much it cost him to save you and me. So I try not to do this, but I'm going to do this because I think I thought this was necessary. We're going to put on the our spiritual magnifying glass to, to, by looking at Romans chapter five. Turn with me to Romans five. It's to your right in the old, in the New Testament. It's after the book of Acts. If you went to Corinthians, you went too far. 
Romans 5, I'm just going to read this. This is, this is going to show us and help magnify God's love for us. We need to put on our spiritual magnifying glass here. Romans 5, verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'll read it for us. Verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us. God was motivated by, by love to rescue sinners like you and me. Famous Bible verses, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. To whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. 1 John three sixteen says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Love, love, love. Love was what motivated God the Father to send God the Son to die for you and me, the, his people. In that, but when did he do this? In that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, verse 9, much more than having now been justified, declared innocent by the, his blood, we shall be saved from what? Magnifying last time. Saved from the wrath of God through him. Let's keep looking now greater at God's love. We were sinners. We were saved from the wrath of God. And this wrath of God is not a stoic wrath. This is not like, hmm, I'm internalizing it. The Old Testament uses words such as burning wrath, fierce wrath, jealous wrath. God is angry towards sinners. God is angry towards sinners. And we make no apology about this. This is what the Bible says. God is angry towards sinners. In other words, God sent his only son, motivated love, to save us from himself. Keep that magnifying glass on. Verse 10, for if why were enemies, there's another word, enemies, enemies, sinners, saved by God's, from God's wrath, were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Through the death, death of his sons, Isaiah 53 says that the Lord was pleased to crush him. God, the Father, crushed his own son so that he could save sinners from his own wrath. And this is that we're enemies of God. We're rebels of God, alienated from God, separated from God, without any hope. Do you understand what we're doing here right now with this magnifying glass? Do you understand how serious, how deep the love of God is? I mean, when we start thinking about why we're still sinners, that fine-tunes that, that the ray of God's love in our minds and hearts. We're saved from the wrath of God. That makes it even that much more tighter. Sinners deserve God's wrath. And then while we're still his enemies, God sees us as his enemies before salvation. I'm reminded that, that that sun is no longer just kind of this blurry light. It is fine-tuned. We get that little dot, and that baseball is starting to smoke. That leaf is starting to smoke. It's starting to ash. You could see something's burning. This is what we need to do to our hearts. 
We need to think about God's love in light of what he saved us from, from himself and how serious of a matter it is. We're poor paupers. We're enemies. We have no, no ground to stand on. It's because of God's love that we have. We can sit here in peace. What is the net result? What is the net result? There's a, there's a point here. Verse 11 of Romans 5. Because we understand God's love, because we understand that we're justified by his blood and saved from his wrath, because we understand we were once enemies and now we're reconciled through God through the death of his son, we understand that we have been saved by his life. Verse 11. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Exalt. What does that mean? To rejoice. Continual praise. We worship Him. If we understand the love of God and we experience the love of God, you are a worshiper of God. And this is what David was. Loving kindness and justice. He understood God's love. He knew God. When people say to you, do you know God? I know you know about God, but do you know Him? Have you experienced His love? That's what he's talking about. That's what people should be talking about. This is not some kind of emotional feeling. This is the truth that sets you on fire for him. This is what we're talking about. And this is what David, as you going back to Psalm 101, you flip back there. That's what he says, I will sing, I will sing, I will worship. And this is just natural. Christians like to sing. Christians like to talk about the good things of God. Christians like to talk about God and think about God. Christians like to live for God because we understand the loving kindness of God. That's why as Christians, we sing the full counsel of God. We sing about the wrath and the fury, the the mercy and grace of God. That's why as Christians, we sing about the, the terrible wrath and tender love of God. That's why as Christians, we sing about the awful news of hell. And the awesome promise of heaven. That's why as Christians we sing about our great God. So Christians do. We sing unashamedly by every aspect of God. Because if you just get one side of God, that love seems pretty cold. God loves you. That's great. But that doesn't mean as much. Now we understand more. Romans 5 takes us deeper. Just uh, Psalm 101, verse 1 takes us deeper. Loving kindness and justice. It's both. That's both. Without understanding the justice, the judgment, the wrath of God, God's love just could feel cold, unfortunately. It could be an academic exercise like, yeah, God loves me. Isn't that great? No effect. No worship, mechanical, cold, religious, just doing your thing. No heat. Do you know some brothers and sisters that you know that have heat? I mean, I'm not talking about body. I'm talking about this guy or guy, gal loves Christ. I could tell. You don't have to be some seminarian to understand that this person loves Christ. Have you been around people like that? Because they experience the love of God. They know the love of God. As Paul writes in Ephesians 3, rooted and grounded in love. Look at, there's more love. To be, to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, right? 
to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. Even of that we don't quite understand. But we understand more. So the justice of God magnifies the love of God and it generates worship in us. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how you get set on fire. That's how the rays of God love isn't some general, uh, uh, general love or general grace, but it's a special, it's a specific grace, specific love for sinners like you and me, those who have been called into a relationship with him. If you don't know what I'm talking about, start thinking about this. Christianity is a very logical religion. It, it's the truth. It's about truth. It's truth informs our hearts. It's not about the feelings necessarily, although there are times we may feel joyful, there are times we may feel sad. It's all part of the Christian life. But in a group this size, surely there are non-believers here today. There's hundreds of people here, whether you're guests, whether you've been sitting here for decades. We consider if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Think about this right now. Can you say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? God knows your heart. If you are an unforgiven sinner, God sees you as an enemy, per Romans. God's wrath is upon you, per Romans. The love of God sent Jesus Christ to save sinners like you and me. Don't you want to experience God's love today? We're not going anywhere now. I know we're talking about leadership and integrity, but as I was preparing, I said, this is the high point of the sermon. We need to understand this. We need to understand this. Come to Christ today. If you're stirring your heart right now to give your life to Christ, if that person, that mother's been talking to you about Christ, give your life to Christ. Why would you not do it now? Why would you delay? Why? Is it the world? Is it your friends, displeasing your friends? Is it the pleasures of sin? Or do these things seem so big to you? Today is the day of God. Tomorrow is the devil's day. We don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. Just to share with you, I've shared with some people earlier, this past Wednesday, you know, we're coming from lunch on my last day of class. Hurry up, man. We've got to get back. We've got six, seven minutes before class starts. We get out, run out of the restaurant, get into the car, make a left turn, crossing a busy free, a street called Roscoe Boulevard, and we did not see that car come in. The guy to my right said, watch out. There's one of those moments, and by God's grace, we barely got missed. I mean, it would have been a T-bone accident. Marco, you have to preach for me today instead, right? I mean, it would have been one of those things. God was reminding me as I thought, okay, I got one more day. I got to preach Psalm 101. I got to go on vacation. I got all these thoughts and plans. But God was gently reminding me, not so fast. Tomorrow's guaranteed to nobody. So as you're sitting here, tomorrow's guaranteed to nobody. Give your life to Christ Jesus says, I've come for you. I did not come for the perfectly righteous. We didn't come for the, those who are polished and got it all together. I've come for you. Jesus says, I left the heavenly throne to the God to save sinners like you and me. I've come for you. If you're sitting there thinking, I'm not worthy, of course you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy. I've come for you, the Lord says. 
Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. The Bible says, call upon him while he is near. Because upon death, it is too late. He's far away from you at that point. Now is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Today is the day. Come to the Lord now. Let me just pray before we get to the next point. Father, thank you for an opportunity to talk about your judgment but more important, thank you for the opportunity to talk about the good news, the, the, your loving kindness. I pray for those right now sitting in the seats here who are stirring in their seats that they know they need to repent and give their lives to you, that they will turn away from their sins and turn to you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. Will you do this, Lord? Will you be so kind to them, Lord? Will you allow your, call your spirit to fall upon them and they become reborn again, people? Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Second point. Review. My integrity begins with my worship. Second point. My integrity empowers my walk. What does walk mean? This is a metaphor. For those of us who need to know metaphor, it's talking about how we journey through life. Our walk is how we live, how we talk, how we invest our money, how we invest our time. The things that we watch, the things that we do, who we associate with, the walk. And David understood God's love, like I said earlier, and therefore he desired Israel to have integrity, to be genuine before God. And But he knew integrity must begin with him as the king. That's how it is. If you're a dad, if you're a leader, if you're any role of leadership, it starts with you. And people rarely rise above the standards of the leader. It happens. It could happen. God could do anything, but rarely They rise despite of you, okay, if you're not a man or woman of integrity. And a life of worship leads to a life of conviction, which crystallizes our walk. It's how we live. And if we look at verse 2 through 4 here, even backing up to verse 1, I will sing, I will sing. Verse 2, I will give heed. Verse 2, I will walk within my house. Verse 3, I will set no worthless things before my house. Verse 3, it shall not fasten its grip on me. Verse 4, I will know no evil. Conviction. David not only was a passionate man for God, it birthed a conviction within him. This is how I'm going to live. To be able to say something, not in an arrogant way, but to say, this is how I'm going to live, says something about you. You don't hold the cards close to your vest. You put the cards on the table. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live. Are you that type of person who's able to put your cards on that table and say, this is who I am, world. This is who I am, family. Hold me to these standards. Those who keep it close to their vest, "Mm, not quite sure. Because no one's going to hold him accountable, but David just puts it out there. Verse 2, I will give heed to the blameless. In other words, I will live with integrity. And he knew this was a daunting task. Verse 2 goes on to say, when will you come to me? This is not talking about like the end times, when you come back to restore your kingdom. I believe what he's saying there is, when will you come to help me? I want to live with integrity, but I know this is, I know my sinful heart. I need you, God. God energizes our walk. The Spirit of God energizes our walks. Ezekiel 36, God promises that He will give us a new heart. He'll put His Spirit within us so that we will walk according to His ways. It's about God's power working in you and me, Christians. 
It isn't some kind of mental toughness or I'm going to be a disciplined guy or set up all the safeguards in the world so I can never fall off the cliff. There are cliffs, there are potholes in life that you will not be able to plan for. What does this look like? Let's look at verse 2. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart, my private, personal life. This is where you let your hair down, right? This is where you're not at church, you're not at work, you're not with that girl you're trying to court, you're not trying to impress anybody. This is who you are, okay? This is who you are. And I get to be myself. What does that look like? He goes, I'm, I'm gonna, it starts at home, it starts in my heart, and I'm going to be genuine at home. Verse 3, David sets up some guardrails, some wise guardrails. I will set no worthless or vile things before my eyes. Vile things, things of Belial, things that are wicked and evil. The eyes are the doorway to the heart, brothers and sisters. What you're looking at is what's filling your heart. Don't walk away from your thinking anything different. What you look at is programming your hearts. We're a visual culture. Satan has the market on these things now. He's got all the devices that keeps things more and more and more private. At one time, we had to watch television in the family room. Then maybe you got a TV in your room. Then you got a computer. And then now you got a phone. You can go anywhere with that. A lot of blessings in it, but there's all kinds of things. The eyes, brothers and sisters, the garden, in the garden, the fruit was a delight to the, what? To the eyes. What does John 2.16 say? Warns about the lust of the eyes. What you look at will program what you desire. What are you looking at? Especially when you're alone. Think now, remember the sermon is my integrity. I want everyone to think, 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 think for yourself what comes to mind when you're alone. Where have the clicks taken you? As you're thinking about that, what generates more revenue than the National Football League? Major League Baseball, NBA, the National Hockey League, throwing the MLS to the soccer league. Combined, what industry generates more revenue than all those leagues combined? And this is a significant, those are significant businesses, I know. This is the porn industry. This is a pornographic industry. This is not an issue just for young men. Although young men, this is an issue. This is not just an issue for old men. There's also an issue for elderly men too. And as we're talking to other pastors from around the country, this has become an issue not only for men, but for young ladies. It's a different age that we grew up in. The media, the the exposure, the the opportunity, just the, the, the sexual culture that's around us even more and more blatantly has driven young ladies to this. And it's such a shameful thing because an older sister who grew up in a generation or generation and a half can't even relate to this. A young man could come to an older man and go, yeah, I get you, brother. I'm with you. I, I understand. 
An older woman may look at the young woman and say, I can't even relate to what you're talking about. Where do you go? What are we looking at, church? Is it light or darkness? There's a lot of great things, too, to look at as well. It's not all bad. We don't have to pluck out our eyes. But David doesn't stop with our eyes. Verse 3, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. I, I think he's talking about influences around him. I hate those who walk away from God's ways. I hate those who do what's right in their own eyes. I hate those who are just trying to get ahead. And the temptation is this. I, I get it. I, I used to work outside the local church vocationally. I mean, you've seen all kinds of crazy things and people were prospering. Is that your experience? Is that school? People are getting better grades by cheating. At work, are people getting the promotions that you think you should be in because they're cheating or being lacking integrity? The temptation is this, to look at them and say, you know what, I need to do this too. I need to get ahead too. This is just the industry. God knows. God knows what, how, what we have to do. Well, they're not our role models. They're not our role models. David says, I will not study these sinners. I'm not going to be like this. So as I go through all this laundry list of safeguards that David put through, put himself to, how would your spouse describe you? What will your friends say about you? Those that really know you. How would your children testify about you? What do your, how do your siblings see you? Some of us got brothers and sisters. What do your parents think about your youth? What do they think about you? What do they think about you? I know they love you, but what do they think about you? Next to God, all these people that I mentioned have the front row seat to your lives. They, they know. Next to God, they know better, better than anybody else. They know it better than anybody else. Do we sing at church and curse at home? Do we act like saints at work and act like Satan in our cars? What do they see you watching? Who do they see you listening to? Who are the influences in your life? They know who you look up to. They know who you're listening to. As Brother Keith read out of 1 Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the what? The, the what? The heart. Man does look, so it is important now. I'm not saying that's not important. We have a witness, we have a testimony, but God sees what's in here. And we can fool our families and friends for a while. I've heard of situations, some ridiculous situations where people are able to fool their family and friends for a while. But we're the fools if we think we could fool God. There's no way we could fool God. God knows. And the heart is the issue. And look where he goes in verse 4 here. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. A perverse heart, a crooked heart. I think he's talking about himself. I think he's talking about himself. And, and, and the key to our walk is our own hearts. The battlefield. The battlefield to what David is talking about, to live a life of integrity, is in the heart, your thought life, the inner man, the inner person, who you are. That is the battleground right there. Do we live as if God is a front row seat in the theater of our minds? 
as you close your eyes, you're, what is playing on that screen? There's something that's, that's revolving in your mind at times. Do we live for an audience of one? Are we living as if God is our main and only audience? I forget which high school coach, but I had a high school coach in Arcadia High School once said, you are who you are when nobody's looking. You are who you are when nobody's looking. That's who you really are. If you're honest with yourself, that's exactly who you are. Dr. Lawson, our seminary professor of preaching, talks, describes integrity as being integrated. What do I mean by that? Integrated is the worship of God integrated in all areas of our lives. You like that, huh? I like that. That makes sense. Does Christ dominate me in every area of my life? My public life, my private life, the darkness of my thoughts life. It's Christ in all those spheres of my life. The war of integrity is won or lost in the mind. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. What you think about is right there. That's the battlefield. And if you think, oh, I could manage this. I could keep watching this. I could keep coveting this person's stuff or this person's spouse. Oh, I can, you know, this lust, I'm not touching him. I'm not hurting him. I can handle this. Or pride, yeah, I can lift myself up in my own dialogue of my minds. You've lost it already. You've already lost. And it won't be long before it comes out. You've already lost. This is what it looks like in my own mind. I thought like, well, could this be helpful, you know, to hear from your pastor on this? So I thought, yeah, maybe. I got struggles and challenges in my mind all the time. Impure thoughts, pure thoughts, prideful thoughts, angry thoughts, thoughts that want me to feel lifted and high, high and lifted up. Can you relate? Do these thoughts go through your mind as you're driving to work in the morning, driving home from work? Does, this, does, this, does these things pop into your head? The dialogue that happens in my head is this. Verse 1 of like, when will you come to me, comes to mind. God, help me. I don't want this. This is a lie. I want to think about you. I want to think of you being lifted up, not me being lifted up. It's, a, it's, it's pray without ceasing. It's, it's just a literal dialogue in my head. Sometimes if I'm alone, I, speak, I start talking to myself or I, I, I'm talking to God. Is that the type of battle that, that you understand what I'm talking about? Yes, brother, I know what you're talking about. Or are you saying, I have no idea what you're talking about? Well, get in the battle then. Stop laying there on the ground dead. Get off the ground and join the battle. Join with the Lord and battle those things. This is a real fight now. This is not a passive thing. Let go and let God. This is not it. This is, I'm actively involved in this moment by moment. Even as I'm preaching right now, is this for God or is it for me? Is this for loving the people or not? I mean, this is a constant thing. And the more success that you have on the earthly realm, it's a double-edged sword. It's a blessing, but it's a curse because it's more temptation to want to touch the glory. Let me just say that to you right now. The higher you go up in any achievement that you're able to get, that degree, that job, that house, that public affirmation, that acclaim, it's a blessing. Let's enjoy it, but it's, beware. It's a curse because it could cause you to want to touch the glory. And that double-edged sword will cut you. It'll leave you bleeding. And the, 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 the weapon of choice that God's given us, given us is this, repentance. Let's repent. Let's repent. Just say, cry out to God. 
your loving kindness, Lord. I repent. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Finally, our third point, we'll go fairly quickly on this one. My integrity begins with my worship. My integrity empowers my walk. And then thirdly, my integrity develops my watchfulness. My watchfulness. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul writes, Bad company corrupts good morals. And David understood this. And so from verse 5 and 7, he sets up the moat and the walls to his castle of his heart. He's saying, basically, I'm not going to hang out with slanderers, secret slanderers. I'm not going to listen to people who are gossips and divisive. I'm not going to act with people who act secretly. They're, they're, they're hypocrites. They act one way in public, but privately they try to cultivate strife. I'm not going to hang out with people who have haughty and arrogant eyes. I'm not hanging out with those types of people. Verse 7 says, I'm not going to hang out with those who are deceitful, who speak falsehood, liars and schemers. This is, David just puts a fence around him. And when you have time, look at Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. These are exactly the things that God says he hates. Prideful looks, slanderers, divisive people, deceptive people. People who murder. These are the things that God hates. But verse 6, let me focus in on verse 6 here. This is David's inner court inside the walls of his heart. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land. Watchfulness. God, God was developing a watchfulness in David's, David's spiritual eyes. That they may dwell with me. He who walks in the blameless or with the, in the way of integrity is the way, is the one who will minister to me. David surrounded himself with people of integrity. As a leader, you want to surround yourself with godly men. I believe these four laymen and, and Pastor Jeremy are godly men. That's why I want to be surrounded by them in a very practical matter as it relates to the life of our church. In your life, who are those who you've allowed to enter into the castle of your heart? But you may be saying, Pastor, 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 didn't Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors? Of course. We're not talking about evangelism here, church. Of course. Let's hang out with sinners and tax collectors. Let's bring them to the kingdom. We're talking about who's in your inner circle. We're talking about who has your ear. Who, who do you listen to? We're talking about who are your partnerships. Who do you think about marrying? Who do you think about going to business with? Who are your role models, your influences? This is what we're talking about here. So don't mistake me. I love evangelism. Let's definitely hang out with sinners and tax collectors. We're talking about who is your inner circle? Youth. I felt like uh, led to address the youth specifically. I want to say this much. Show me your friends and your parents and myself know exactly who you are. Who are your friends? Who are you hanging out with? What are you doing at night? What are you texting back and forth to one another? Coach Holt, my friend, <laughs> said, if you want to be a good player, hang out with the good players, right? It's simple. Simple. Who are your friends? Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Your friends, your friends, choose your friends wisely. Listen to your parents. They've lived life longer than you. You could trust what they have to say. Choose your friends. Does this person 
burn for Christ? Does this person have integrity? Are they the same with you and with other friend groups? That's a good test. Are they the same? You know what I'm talking about. Did they, they act a certain way with you and all of a sudden they get with a different group? They act different. That's a bad, <laughs> bad fruit right there. Something's up. Just a little something here. It's free. Uh, these are the things that we talk about at home, but also I, I just thought that would be helpful. In conclusion here, let's finish up here. Verse 8. Every morning, I will destroy. This is David's words. I will. That's conviction. I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. I will destroy all the wicked of the land. What do we do with this verse? David was not a perfect man. Anyone who has some understanding of the Bible understands David wasn't a perfect man. I was confronted with this. How can the... David, although he was known as the man after God's own heart. He did not live in his home with perfect integrity. And many wives, hundreds of wives, concubines, was not integrity. He did not keep his eyes from vile things. He went on the rooftop. He did not keep perfect company. He was not a perfect leader. And leaders, speaking to myself as well, we're all going to fail at times. Because right now, if you're, if you're sitting here, you may be thinking, oh, this is heavy. I don't feel uplifted. What is pastor doing? Is he trying to just crush me? Why, why do you take me down the road that you went down all week long studying this text? Well, what brought me back is verse 1. And I'm going to bring you back to verse 1, Okay. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. Loving kindness and justice, the bookends of God's perfect rule. There's only one that was perfect, right? There's only one who lived the righteous life. That's Jesus Christ. So if you make a mistake, lean in harder to Jesus Christ. If you lack integrity, lean in harder to Jesus Christ. If you get caught with something, praise God. That's a mercy of Christ so you can repent, so you, don't, so you come out of the darkness, hiding behind the bushes. The Lord is a righteousness, and he does not call for perfection. We know this. He's the perfect one. He's the one that needed to be perfect, not us. But he calls for integrity or genuineness. Not a perfect faith, but a genuine faith. Not a perfect walk, but a genuine walk. Not a perfect level of worship, but a genuine level of worship is the Lord. That's what the Lord's looking for. Let's all pursue integrity and lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we're here together at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley to disciple each other in these areas. Amen? There's a lot of hope there in verse 1. Loving kindness of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your loving kindness. And it means so much more now that we understand your justice more. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. We were once enemies, now we're your friends. We once had your wrath, now we have your favor. We once were dead, but now we're alive. Because of your loving kindness. 
Father, when we fail to live with perfect integrity, move us to repentance. Move us to repent to you first and foremost. That battleground, lift us up off that ground so we could get on our feet by the power of your Holy Spirit and fight the good fight, as Paul says. And I pray, Father, that we will have two or three friends that we could talk through in a very candid way that could hold us up. These type of friends that will be worthy to sit in the inner courts of our hearts. And we thank you for just how you will hold us fast no matter what. Even when our burning convictions don't come true because we are sinners saved by grace. Give us the resolve to live for you, Lord. And Father, I pray you continue to raise up leaders, leaders who have integrity within our homes, within this local church, Lord. I pray for these five other men. I just pray for unique encouragement for Steve, Albert, James and Fred, Jeremy and myself. I pray just for unique encouragement. I pray that the church family will pray for any leaders knowing that there are many challenges, but at the end of the day, we're called to be worshipers and all the power comes from you, Lord. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.